Games you deserve. I'm Eric, and this week on Games You Deserve, we talk about coronavirus and how it's affecting the games industry. Plus, I'm Smitty, and we'll be taking a deep dive into our video game roots. Plus, I'm Dan. Join us as we take a trip to Miami with the Game of the Week. for a couple decades and uh, we my first publisher was pretty well known back in the mid 90s and we were making games for Mac and porting them to PC and this was well before consoles were really even a thing uh, you know not I'm t- not talking about Atari 5200s or anything we're talking about like Sega Dreamcast and uh, th- that was um, coming out during I don't know, probably the beginning of my career in the video game business. So I think we'll be able to talk some old man reference, some current, you know, gaming, uh, you know, things that, uh, well, I don't know, unless we're all, we're all over uh, 20 here. Oh, let's not give that away <laughs> th- this early. Let's we're not, not we're give not, that away We're not going to be any Generation Z talk here, but uh, well, I mean, I, I've got but, kids, so I can speak to my kids' experience with uh, with video games as well, and, and sure. it certainly has evolved over the last 40 years or so. Well, to be fair, I think all of us do, and, and I think we've all got that type of experience, which is really great. Uh, I, before we move too far forward, I just want to say that I've heard of video games. I know good. what they are. That's good. No, I, I, uh, I've pretty much put hands on uh, nearly every single video game system uh, that's ever existed as a big collector. Uh, one point in my collecting history, I had over 40 different systems in hand. Wow. Uh, not at the same time. I, I wasn't like holding them all at once, but they were all in my house at the same time. And so, well, we'll get into the collecting thing in a, in a different episode, I think, but um what was the is that these are all games you played or was it just you had it to display or how did that work i had it all for all the reasons i i love to play them hook them up check them out try different games on them i have definitely have my favorites and some not so favorites um i couldn't even tell you how many actual games over the time that i've owned um at one point and and you know, this sounds like something we should also explore at some point, and I'm sure we will. I liquidated and went into a whole different realm of gaming, and I built myself an arcade cabinet that I designed. And I think that that, you know, there's a ton of people with arcade love, too, yes. that we should definitely talk about at some point. And I think that comes in, you know, in, in so many people's histories with the arcade. But really, the point of me saying all of that was to show that I have this deep, deep, deep love for video games. And I feel like when I look over the room that I've probably passed that on to somebody else here. Uh, <laughs> I've got a, a little one who's sitting on a couch right now. I think he's playing Sonic Mania on his Switch, which is great. Um, so, yeah, like this 
this is something that means a lot to me. The digital preservation aspect, the gaming aspect, pretty much all aspects of it. Uh, so much so that I started doing things like this, like mm -hmm. creating podcasts. And uh, I run a number of communities uh, surrounding this, uh, really trying to bring everyone closer together and bring the industry and fans closer together, which is actually how Smitty and I met. And mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure he deeply regrets that. <laughs> it's a virtual relationship. It's uh, well, we got to maintain social distance and internet. <laughs> we're doing hey, a nice segue. Speaking of <laughs> yeah. which, yeah. Um, it's something we are going to get into probably a new segment. Most episodes when we start the episode by talking about something that's happening in the world. And there's only really one thing happening in the world uh, today and that is the COVID-19 outbreak or pandemic or whatever you want to call it. Um, we're all stuck at home right now, basically podcasting from home, but also working from home, I think. Are you guys working from home? Oh, yeah. Okay. I literally, today today was my last, as I'm recording this, today is my last day having to go into the office for a while. Starting tomorrow, I will be working from home. And hmm. yeah, what a crazy scenario. It, it's me. really unprecedented. I've never I've never experienced anything like this as as I believe nobody has really. No. Well, I have to tell you, I have to tell you that I am hating this sequel. The the COVID-19 is the worst sequel ever. I think mm. the whole franchise jumped the shark after COVID-3. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I do think one of the worst parts about this though is that there are these events that are being oh. canceled. Oh Things like I mean, let, I'll just put it on the table. The biggest one is obviously E3. That has it, that has such an impact every year on the fan side. I mean, we, we know what E3. You and I have been at similar events here. We've been to the same E3, you know, that well, for a long time ago, and and we know that that's changed over time. But from a fan standpoint, everybody knows every year when that's going to happen. And then GDC. Well, if, I was going to say, from an industry standpoint, GDC yeah. is much more of a business show. And, of course, there are multiple GDCs, but the GDC in San Francisco is always, that's the OG one, and that's the yep. one uh, when it gets canceled. And much less, a bunch of our friends got, you know, hung on the hook with airline flights and 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 hotels they couldn't cancel because GDC was not canceled. It was postponed. <laughs> and it was last moment, too. I mean, it, this wasn't something that anybody saw coming. At least yeah. E3 had some time in yeah. front of it. And that doesn't happen until June. And then, bro, I'm in Texas, and I got to mention the good old South by Southwest. And yep, got an axe to that. That is God, and that was canceled by the municipality, you know, of the city of Austin canceled that. And so then you've got the promoters, the poor promoters there that are then forced to uh, look at their own cancellation policy. And they have to look at everybody that bought badges. Some of them are thousand dollar, fifteen hundred dollar badges and say, sorry, man, no refunds, because you can clearly see <laughs> on our refund policy, it states <laughs> no refunds. And uh, they didn't cancel the event. The city canceled the event. So it's, quote, act of God almost, you know. But let's bring it back to games, right? So what did we have? Didn't we have, what, what did they say, 20 million concurrent Steam connections on, what? how many concurrent Steam connections 
we're seeing some record numbers across the board. It's not just something like Steam. I mean, GOG is having all kinds of users just jumping on. Nintendo had an outage with their online service. We had a problem with Discord uh, because... Oh, uh, a massive outage. Just a massive outage with Discord just a couple days ago. and uh, Everybody's home. They want to play. They want to do stuff online because they can't go outside. They can't be with their friends. So they're going to jump on and play games, right? And communicate. I mean, that's, that's the right. other thing. That's, mm-hmm. that's one thing that people are failing to understand. Like, you know, let's say I have uncles or somebody that don't understand the video game. They're like, oh, these kids all sitting in their mama's basement playing games. They're like, well, you know, but I bet you they're connected to about 100 people through those headphones over that course of that night. You know, that they may never actually know their name or whatever, but they're. They're not alone sometimes. Some, no, sometimes they're sharing yes. a story. Sometimes yes, know? sometimes no. But uh, it, it really is. It's a, it, it's a theater of the mind, you know, in a, a lot of ways, the, uh, the way that we communicate now through like Discord. Because even how we're sitting here talking, we can't see each other. We certainly sound like we're in the same room with each other, though. And it's very strange, <laughs> you know. I just <laughs> wish you would put some pants on. That's <laughs> you, My camera. You, can you hear that? You can hear that he doesn't have pants on? Yeah, yeah. I'm not even going to start. Because <laughs> I think... <laughs> I went to Overland Trail Arcade in Enid, Oklahoma, which was conveniently located right across the street from Putt-Putt. And did anyone have a Putt-Putt? You know, uh, those little outdoor putting greens, you know, things. And that Putt-Putt also had a micro, a little arcade inside of it, and a robot that delivered pizza. Oh, I had one of those. (laughs) The robot was controlled by a dude. I love that thing. (laughs) Yeah, it's the guy with the remote control in the back in the kitchen. I wish I had one of those. We never had one of those. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, cool. you got to have some uh, rich oil people in your town. The oil that <laughs> probably, but, uh, <laughs> probably. We were we we weren't special enough for robotic pizza delivery. Yeah, but but the video games at home, at the once Atari came in, you know, I had a twenty six hundred, I had a fifty two hundred, and of course, you know, the trackball for the fifty two hundred was just like revolutionary because I wanted to play Centipede, and then I could actually have the same experience that I did I could at the arcade. And I could also practice at home the same, you know, kind of on the same equipment, if you will. That's what she said that I had at the arcade. And so then that I think there was some evolutions where I started seeing not competitive gaming. But, you know, when we went to the arcades, man, dude, that was the uh, that was the original competitive gaming. You put your quarters up there and you got to play until you lost, you know, and then when you lost, you didn't get to play again. And then it was all about the high schoolers, you know, your three digit name, yeah. you know, the high schooler. And that, or I mean, three digit, uh, whatever initials for the high school. And uh, so I was JTS. If anyone saw me out there on Galaga out there in Enid. But uh, <laughs> so anyway, I just, I think that the way that I look at things when I look at the current state of gaming is I don't, you know, I love where it's at. I think the evolution of what gaming is, it has stayed true to its original origins more than any other entertainment platform, period. Music, poetry, <laughs> movies, you know, a stage. It's 
even magicians. You can't just have a simple magician. You have to, you know, make a building disappear or you suck. But it's, uh, so I just love the way that gaming has kind of stayed true to um, community and uh, rewarding excellence, you know, in a lot of ways. And uh, and also, you know, uh, just one of the greatest gatherings of artists and smart people I've ever seen in my life, <laughs> you know, to actually make these games. I mean, I, I always consider myself just crazy, crazy lucky, you know, to be really one of those kids that sat and played joust until, you know, I broke the buttons on my, you know, Atari 5200 controller because those buttons sucked. But yeah, I was going to say, no, let, let's, let's not blame you playing it because they, those controllers God, are those terrible. Tiny yeah. red buttons on the side suck. <laughs> the 5200 was not the best Atari ever did. Well, no, it wasn't, but it looked cool. <laughs> it looked cool. That thing was a honker, too. That thing was way bigger than the 7800, the 2600. That thing was giant. Yeah. And then, but, but it, it was just a. You know, so game was always an. Ex- gaming was an escape for all of us, and it was no doubt. certainly yeah. would l- allow you to to be uh, what you wanted to be uh, if you spend enough time with the game. Like that, gaming is kind of one of those things that you know you can go out there and throw that football a hundred times and never be able to throw it a hundred yards, or you know, well, of course you're not going to throw it a hundred yards, but throw it yeah, fifty. But load yards, up a game, but load up a game, and you can over and over and over muscle memory, whatever. So there's like, you know, it's not like oh, kids who can't play sports. I'm not trying to make that parallel, but it's just one of those few things where it's kind of brain exercise, you know, in a lot of ways. There's all right. Uh, so that that brings to mind because you you said brain and and you said exercise. So I'm going to make you exercise yours. Okay. What is the first memory of a video game that you have? Uh, crying a lot. Oh, oh, no, not not after playing it. <laughs> well, hey, Which I game? will tell you the truth. It was uh, my dad brought home Pong when it was uh, just a, a big, weird, round controller thing, uh, and and it plugged right into your TV. And, and you had to tune to channel three. That's correct. Yeah, you had to tune to a different. I didn't know it was channel. You had to tune because I wasn't allowed to touch the TV. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, you had to tune to a specific <laughs> channel or do something. And then I remember that. But my, and then it had that a, a Y connect or a Y splitter or whatever. And then there were two paddles, if you will. And I just remember my dad brought that home and he said this was amazing. And then he uh, he was no good at it. And then he said it was shit. <laughs> and he told me not to play with it because it was shit. <laughs> so that was my first gaming memory. <laughs> now, was this the one that had a bunch of different versions of Pong where you could play with different no, numbers no, of paddles? No, man. This and, was or, black uh, and uh, white. Just basic, basic one one line on each side and one ball going between them. Yeah, that was that's it. Right. That's all you needed, though. Well, no, I know, but no, I remember Nolan later Bushnell. on there were different versions of Nolan Bushnell's Pong. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. I have a similar memory to that where my dad did a similar thing. He brought it home and we had it for a couple of days. I think he must have bored it from a friend or something. Uh, but just the idea of being able to control something on the screen, that was just such a cool idea to me. Like just having that interaction with my TV, which is something you never were able to interact with. Right. It was always just a passive watching stuff on TV. This way you could actually make things move. on the Oh, screen, yeah. Yeah. Great. Unbelievable. And then when I had the, the Nintendo, the NES Duck Hunt. You know, that duck hunt game, that that gun, that light gun was, of course, it was the only stupid game that really played well with it. But, uh, it you know, they had like a balloon pop game and whatever. But that that was also I remember my mother specifically being mystified by how that actually worked, you know, 
Ah, uh, the light gun. Yeah, yeah. It's so cool. What about you, Eric? What was your favorite first game? Oh, man. So when I think about this, I think about two different things. I I think about my first game console, and I'll get to that for a second. But honestly, the the thing that I remember were these, not even the good ones, the dumb little handheld electronic games that came out before things. Oh, like the the football game? Like the little green football game? Yeah. Yeah. And and to me, that's kind of like, that's the first video game experience Mm -hmm. that I had. Because, you know, parents could be like, here, kid, I, I threw some AA batteries in here. Go play, you know, and, and so you take that, you go off on your own, and little do you know that although you're having the time of your life with this thing, they're just getting you out of their hair. I just want to know? say your mom had a really deep voice. Jeez Louise, if that's how she Yeah, it, you know, heavy smoker. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, she was so, like, go play this game so I can smoke. <laughs> go over there, kid. Um, but sound no, like look, somebody from oh, Jersey. Well, but yeah. yeah, look at you. You're you're trying to one up all of us here with your coolness. You said video games, and you know now that you're... is a video game, though. I mean, it had a screen, yeah. it had controls. You know, you got to you got to do that. But but really, if we want to talk about like what everybody traditionally thinks of as a video game, the first experience I had. I was on a family trip and we went to visit other family. I, I grew up in Southern California and just cause you worked in Dallas, I had to talk about Southern Enid, California. Oklahoma. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I, I grew up in Southern California, but we had family that lived across the, up into the, the Northern Midwest in Wisconsin and Michigan. Mm. And so we were at a, to me, an uncle and cousin's house that they had just bought this system that had been out for a little while, rivaled the 2600, the Magnavox Odyssey 2. Yep. <laughs> the Magnavox. Not as good as the 2600, but no. still amazing. <laughs> you know, like, and to me, because that was the first one, and then when everybody loved it, because like you, you see these ads from way back in the day where the entire family's huddled around a TV with somebody at the controls. And- Odyssey. Video game fun. Computer keyboard challenge. The entrance to an alternate world of fire-breathing dragons. Hard-hitting sluggers. Arcade wizards. Outer space wizards. More than 40 games in all. Odyssey. The excitement of a game. The mind of a computer. All for the price of an ordinary video game. Odyssey. That's what it was like. We were staring all at whoever was playing the game while they're sitting in front of this, you know, 20 inch television. That's well, a 20 color. inch, 20 inch CRT that was inside yeah. of a 1500 pound wooden box. Wooden box. That's <laughs> right. Like... Absolutely. That was a Magnavox so, baby. Or oh yeah, Zenith. it was. Uh, <laughs> and, and we're just huddled around this thing in awe of this, this four color game that, you know, doesn't look anywhere as cool as the arcades but guess what you have it at home and you think yeah. the you think that the the 5200 had some limitations yeah. <laughs> the, the odyssey 2 yeah. was definitely tough we had know? we had friends that we would get mad at and we ended up ended up having like little clubs if you will that people who like to play coleco coleco vision and then oh, yeah. in television in television and yeah. so i just remember and i i mean it, it's fun this is our podcast right we can uh, talk about it. A guy named Greg <laughs> in uh, that we grew up with. He had in television, and I remember Richard and some of us. We did not agree with that. 
because uh, we were Coleco guys. The fact that he we, had yeah, one? We didn't think that we, well, number one, we didn't want to go to his house because we didn't want to play stupid in television because those things sucked. And uh, if you want to <laughs> have fun, you come over here and play Coleco. There's a Mario game. Did, we have Mario. Didn't the Intellivision, didn't the Intellivision games work with the Atari anyway? I don't know. I seem to remember having a couple of television characters. Yes, there, there was some cross out. compatibility yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't okay. think we were smart enough. We didn't care. But the important part was Greg lived next to Jenny, who was my girlfriend in fourth grade. And so it made it really rough for me. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I had to stay in my neighborhood. It was. It feels uh, like you're still holding on to a little I something. I am. Now. I am. But I still, I still talk <laughs> to these people on Facebook. They're, if anyone listens to this, they're going to really enjoy it. <laughs> but yeah, I remember the the whole club thing. Would, would you, you know, when we were talking about like your your first video game or your first memory though, it, is ColecoVision your main system growing up? No, Nintendo. Uh, no, graduate yeah, Nintendo. No, I was Atari. Uh, I mean, well, I'm older. You know, I'm an old dude. So uh, Atari twenty six hundred and Atari fifty two hundred, and then NES. And so it was just the straight Nintendo baby because we were playing Tech Mobile like crazy in, in high school. And, oh, yeah. and that's what we did. And and I played football and we would, my quarterback and all of us, we would go home. It, my senior year, we, we were on work. I call it work release. It's not like we were in jail or something. It's called DECA and VICA. You know, it's like if you had a job and everything, you completed all your credits, you know, you only had to go to school half a day uh, your senior year. And, uh, and after football season was over, geez, we had nothing to do in the afternoons if we weren't working. So we'd just all go to Jimmy's house play Tecmo Bowl and eat chicken strips. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was like the greatest thing in the whole world. Sounds good to me. Oh, my God. And there'd be like eight of us all piled into Jimmy's bedroom, all laying on top of each other and on the bed and on the floor and, cr- you know, just waiting to get our turn so we could. What you know, color team? Uh, it was what always. What was the color it, you were Frick. It was, well, it was always Raiders. We were always playing, you know. I mean, there was, we were playing teams. We weren't playing colors. I know, but they didn't really have the names of the, the NFL teams in there. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, they had players, you know. They and, had that, yeah. So we were always, I was the Raiders, you know. Like, it would always want to be that. But uh, Ricky Williams and those kinds of people, <laughs> you would always want to get. But, yeah, so that. Those... Well, it was sort of locked in time, too, right? Like, you, you, you did have that, but it was kind of locked in time. So it didn't evolve, right? You this was the year it came out. This is the teams that were in it. This is the players. Uh, yeah, there was had, no update. You know? Yeah, there was. And yeah. plus, you know, Jimmy's mom wouldn't buy him the, the next version anyway. We didn't care because we had all mastered that first, you know, whatever. That Tecmo was. Super Bowl, though. Yeah, Tecmo Super yeah. Bowl. But the, so those were just games have always been not, uh, you know, they've been an escape for me. They, uh, because I grew up in a small town or I just, but it was during a time that a fantastical creation, you know, when HBO, I, I still talk about it, HBO was just starting. It didn't come on till four o'clock in the afternoon. It went off at midnight. You know, that's when they played the national anthem. And then you saw bars and static, you know, at midnight on the channels, there was literally no entertainment after a certain time. And so it was a great way to escape. And, but, the community around it, I guess it did start in the arcade and the way that games themselves were marketed and introduced to the general public in North America, at least, you know, I know video games were introduced in Asia 
completely different, <laughs> you know, and still to this day, uh, an arcade in Japan is not what we think of when we say arcade here no. in America. Sometimes so, it's better. <laughs> yeah, and you can win money Especially or nowadays. something over there. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's like pay to win, you know, kind of mentalities in, in some of the APAC region, some of the games. The Western philosophy of what a video game is, uh, is different than it is in APAC. You know, if you had a, or at least it used to be. I think things have merged quite a bit over time. You sure, know? I, sure. I, I think the world's gotten so much smaller. But yeah, absolutely. Back in the day, I, when I think back, I got to share this memory because it comes to mind so strikingly. I, when I think of arcade games, I was thinking about track and field. Remember <laughs> track and field? Amen. No bro. joystick. Well, no joystick. No, no, just the, the the three buttons. But remember the rule with track and field? Do you remember the rule? Can't well, see, you can't bring a pencil. Can't use a pencil. That's exactly what I was going to say. Because everybody used to know this trick where you'd break a pencil to a certain length, stick it in between your fingers so that it had pressure down, and then you just slam your hand on the yeah, other one. Yeah, it was and all you could about, make that dude fly. Yeah, it was all about back and forth, back and forth, you know, to get that dude to run fast enough. But yeah, that no, was, no pencils. That was, yeah, that was the game. And if you got good at that game, man, you could just own other people well yeah and you were yeah a stud you, you might as well been you, you know the, the guy running on the track damn <laughs> you know, right all of a sudden, you, people would stand that game and then uh dragon's lair when Dra oh, when dragon's lair came it. out you'd have 20 people standing around watching you play that game remember they had a tv on top so that everyone the, else could so see. everyone could watch you playing it it was a laser disc. I mean, this was, was so the future. Expensive. So <laughs> expensive to play. I spent, I mean, I probably spent twenty dollars a month just playing Dragon's Lair, and that was, you know, back when twenty dollars was twenty dollars. And let's face it, we all sucked at that game. Well, who, how <laughs> that could you? Game not? was you had hard. To, you couldn't actually play the game. You just had to memorize right, left, up. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. You just had to remember. You and, couldn't look at the little flash or figure out what it was going to be. No. Yeah, that was way too no, hard. No, to no, do. no. I, bro, that I game bought, was tough. My mom bought me a book because she, she saw <laughs> it. They had those uh, cheap, but, you know, uh, oh, yeah. secret moves and stuff. I'd buy it. But, yeah, no, there, there were some great games, man. But, you know, the community, that's the one thing, like movies. You go to a movie, shh, don't talk. You know, I mean, you can talk about the movie afterward, but. It's like you, you're not good to enjoy it the same way unless, yeah, I guess, you go to, uh, I don't know, what who, who what, what is that uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show <laughs> or something like that where right, everybody, people, yeah. yeah. Those are like, there's, there's pre predetermined responses that people will. Right. Like, That's right. not the same, sure. though. You go to an arcade back in the day, it was loud. Like during the heyday, it was an event. There was people all over the place, people crowding around machines. Smoking people were talking, cigarettes. Yeah, eating, smoking. eating stuff, smoking, you know, smoking, drinking, smoking, whatever it smoking. was. It was it, it didn't matter. Everybody was there to enjoy themselves and play these just what, incredible. But hold on, what was the loudest thing in the arcade and still is? Oh yeah, the freaking air hockey table. <laughs> oh, the the click clacks. Oh, yeah. oh my god. Clack, clack, uh, wait, now wait a minute. I got I got to throw in there was one small period where Daytona USA was the loudest thing inside of an arcade. It would scream that Daytona. hear it from the other side of the arcade so yeah i just loved arcades but here was the other side of the arcade that uh, that 
Overland Trail Arcade. It was, that's where the high school kids hung out. That's where they smoked cigarettes and whatever. Well, so as I was junior high, we couldn't, we were, not, none of our parents would take us to the arcade, man. That's where the bad kids hung out. And so that we could go to the, the mall, which was, and they had a little movie theater. And all of us would lie to our parents and say that we were going to go see double features and hang out in the food court with our, you know, kid, you know, with our friends. And then immediately <laughs> they drop us off and we zoom right through the mall behind the church over to Overland Trail. And uh, then we'd hang out. I, you know, could never figure out why my mom knew I'd been there. I, cause I didn't realize that cigarette smoke stuck to you like glue, you know, and stuff. All our parents were like, where'd you go to the arcade again? <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, no, we're studying. I'm going to give you one chance here about. before we go out yeah. and pick a switch. And oh, okay. Yes. But And why do you keep asking for quarters? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why did you take $20 of quarters out of But, uh, yeah. but yeah, so that, but it was, there was an element of, um, you know, kind of, uh, being on the edge a little bit as well. So when you're over at the arcade back, there was a little bit of danger. You know, people got in fist fights at the arcade. Uh, no doubt. And I was always around older kids because we were sneaking in there, you know, when we were 13, 14 years old. And, you know, so, yeah. But the, so there was always this little danger element of games that I always appreciated. And I think a lot of us carried that into our adult life with uh, oh, no doubt. the way that we like and, and honor these games. Like Todd McFarlane, you know, like Todd McFarlane and that and everything, how we all of us got so into his figurines, you know, and he did so many great game related figurines. And then he did Spawn, you know, and like he, he did stuff in later date, but all his video, I mean, all his movie stuff. We collected it all because his art, for some reason, represented that cool, evil. It was like a memory, you know, from that one time period. It seemed like we all coalesced around this one form of art that he brought out. In the- well, and he, he was super popular during the, the early and mid-90s, right? He he kind of busts out onto the scene with Spawn. You mentioned it yourself. And, and it that alone sort of represents this entire time frame from way back then through when that comes out, right? It, it's got the attitude, the look, the feel, and that is what enables him to create all those figurines that then come out. I, I would be a little remiss if we're talking about, like, favorite systems or main systems growing up if I didn't just slide in the Super Nintendo. Because as much as I love the NES... The Super NES is my favorite retro system, period, flat out, end of discussion. There is nothing. And, and I know that the Genesis folks are going, oh, what an idiot. What does he know? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Genesis folk. I I'm know. going, oh, what an idiot. I no, know. no, I, I liked this. I had a Genesis, though. I did not have a Super Nintendo. I was not lucky enough to have a Super Nintendo. I'd be jealous of all my friends who had them <laughs> while I played my my. Poor Genesis. This is this is a story I'm going to reserve for later. But let's just say that I had a buddy that was on that side of the fence, and you know we we found a way to make that work. We we figured out how to get that to happen. But the Super Nintendo for me, it, it was the first time I had ever really seen a gaming system evolve. Right? I mean, yeah, Atari had the 5200 and the 7800, but let's face it, the 5200 wasn't great. It's got some nostalgia to it. But it wasn't great. It didn't. It didn't really amp things up to the next level. The seventy eight hundred did better, but the seventy eight hundred was still kind of just an NES. You know, it was. It was about that level of. 
of of capability and and the way that it looked and what it did plus Atari never did anything with controllers the way that Nintendo did. Nintendo just revolutionized controllers left and right for the That's longest true. time. That's true. Atari's controllers were always shit. <laughs> yeah, and and they broke all the time. You remember the joy, the top of the joystick? You would hold the joystick, and then if you Put played down. long enough, that fucking thing would pop right off. <laughs> yeah. Like it, oh the yeah, plastic would slide off the stick, and the rubber the base happened? to it, and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but but. Uh, but the only thing was they, the ergonomics of it were not ergonomic at all. It was like anti-ergonomic. Oh, <laughs> yeah. They, they they didn't feel good. They're trying to duplicate the joystick of an arcade game, but you can't do that because you had nothing to anchor it to. You had to hold the thing and then you use your other hand to move the stick, and it never worked. And, of course, when you're playing, you're you're not concentrating on how hard you're slamming the joystick you know, on there. So... You're treating that thing, you know, with all kinds of force. Well, Dan, what do you think about the Genesis controllers then? Like, what did you think about those? <laughs> they didn't have enough buttons. No, um, that's why they the, came out with the, a six button eventually. Exactly. Yeah, no, they were a little short sighted in that. In that the control sure, pad, this. though, on those is amazing. <laughs> yeah. No, once it came out with the six button controllers, it was a lot better. But to compare the Genesis Genesis controller to the Super Nintendo controller, there's nothing. There's no comparison. No, that overall, Super Nintendo the Super controller Nintendo. was amazing. It's a classic. I yeah. mean, why do you think the PlayStation controller is what it is today? I mean, it, it's basically the model for all other controllers that came after it. Absolutely, yeah. they they took what except they for the did. except for the sixty four controller. I don't know what the hell they were thinking with that. Thing. Well, it just it had a it had a <laughs> mutation and grew an extra leg. You know, that, that's right. <laughs> I don't know what was going on there. Nobody talks about that in that in in positive light whatsoever because it the the sixty four just it was the controller. It wasn't just that it had a third leg and you didn't know how to hold it right. The quality of the controller was terrible. The the, the little joystick top on the thumbstick would break. It, yeah. everybody hated it but but overall N- nintendo was so good at figuring out how to innovate controllers i mean they're the ones that brought the wiimote to everyone which mm-hmm. playstation sony immediately copies right and puts motion in their controller um you you name it nintendo has done controller stuff pretty much first before everyone else did it and i would say that plays through to the to the the um the switch and, and oh, what they're yeah. doing now that's totally innovative. Yeah, that's it is. It is based somewhat on the Wii stuff, but still, like they've made it. Well, it's all iterative. New all over. Yeah, yeah, it's iterative, and and that's that's been iterative. some of their forte. Iterative. I had to use a big word this time. <laughs> that I'll. I promise that'll be the largest word I use today. That's your password, um, probably. That, I bet. How did you? How did you know? Iterative one, I, two, three. Damn, I'm gonna have to change that as soon as we're done recording. Um, the. The Super Nintendo had some amazing games, but they started off with like one of the best games of all time, Super Mario World. Yeah. I mean, right out of the gate, first first amazing game that everybody buys with their system. In fact, you you probably bought the system that came with that. And what do you do? How do you follow that up? You know? Oh. It was just such great sound. The sound I remember being so much better than the Nintendo sound. Oh, like, absolutely! I just that stereo sound and the music was amazing. Every aspect of that game was so much better than the previous the Mario. Colors, which was, were which was Super Mario two, three. Did that came that came out that came out after it came three? out after three, and three okay. was the most insanely good NES game there is. I mean, they pushed yeah. the NES to the absolute brink on that game, and it was amazing. And then Super Mario World comes out, and you kind of go, "I didn't even know this was possible. How how is this even possible?" So yeah. I'll tell yeah, you how it's me, possible. SNES. You build a team of magic men. Yeah, they definitely it do was, that. Uh, yeah, they 
there's been uh, the the way they've held the brand identity of Mario all the way through as well has been kind of interesting. You know how they. I think Mario's more familiar to people now than Mickey at this point. I, yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I agree, agree with that. Certainly to my kids. Yeah, and and yeah. Uh, there's a feeling of uh, like interactivity and stuff. Like like Mario is approachable. You know, Mickey is this you know god it's godlike figure in some ways almost too you know that you can't you certainly can't hang out with me <laughs> but you can hang out with mario all day <laughs> but yeah I, there is uh some great icons that have been created like you said the visuals of mario um you know, some of the things even we worked on this year i've realized that uh, like enter the gungeon you know, Enter the Gungeon has this real simple face, you know, that uh, it's kind of like that smiley face, uh, like from Forrest the Gump. The Bulletkin. <laughs> Remember that Forrest Gump thing where the, the truck went by and splashed all the dirty water on him, he wiped his face, it was smiling, said, have a nice day, <laughs> you know, yeah. and that's where this shirt came from. It's kind of like one of those things, there's certain iconic uh, things that you can see and uh, didn't and don't they don't need any words you know to them and so mario's one of them you know for sure and but there i think there's more video game icons that could be identified with no words necessary only the art you know, or the imagery you know and then maybe even with movies or anything else you know but anyway so i, I just love the iconic art of of the gaming as well and I, There's a lot of reasons to love it. I mean, we you pick up a box. Gosh, you remember what it was like to walk into a store? I don't know, Fedco. I don't know if you guys nope. ever had a Fedco, but we weren't in jail. In, or how about yeah? How about how about Sears? You'd walk sure. into Sears, and they would have a game section with the NES boxes on there. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm talking back when it was just black boxes. So you walk in. And you see the black box and you're like, I want the one with that on it. You know, mm-hmm. whatever that was. I want that one. Because that you know, was the I'm... only marketing. There weren't any like. Yeah. I mean, if there were video game magazines, maybe, but not in mass distribution when I was a kid. Heck yeah. no. Oh, you yeah. had to look at the box and figure out if this was a game you wanted to play. Yeah. And maybe you were lucky enough that a friend had played it and said, this is awesome or this sucks. Don't buy that. But you had to get, take the box, look at the back. Maybe they had some cool words. Maybe they had some screenshots or other art, and you had to decide right then and there because this was, if you go early enough, this was before you could even rent them at your Blockbuster or your family video or whatever. You know, you had to figure out, is this something I can play? And if you were really lucky, they had a kiosk with a Nintendo, and that game was in it, and you could play it for like two minutes. Let's see, Eric. If you had to guess... From looking at the things that I have designed uh, this last year, what box art do you think that we mm. seem to like the most? I don't know. I don't know. They do seem to be a little popular, though. Uh, I don't know. Uh, there be, might be a shared love for this. Well, but I mean, the style of the art came totally. Yeah, from the black box. It, yeah, totally. And it, the angle and the break in the fourth wall, if you will, of letting it's an the art, icon. art break You talk out. about icons, that's an icon. Yeah, yeah. and so... If, and you know, it's just a, a thing that feels right. You know, you see it and you're like, oh, I know what that is. But I also, the artwork would tell you, does it work for your game system? Because remember, right. back in the day, it wasn't always that clear uh, of it did this 
does this work for my game system or not? You know, does it, and especially if your mom or your aunt or your uncle were out there trying to buy you a gift for Christmas. Someone who really didn't know. They would know way would they know. I mean. Well, because you could pick up a box and maybe that game was for your Commodore 64. First first computer I ever had, by the way, Commodore 64. I mean, that, they looked a lot alike. Some of the games were on both. Frogger, you want to pick up Frogger. You know, yeah. you go and you're going based on the art on the cover, and the, that was always so much more intricate for those older games than the game actually looked. So it was like meant to set up kind of your your mind's eye to help you imagine what you're kind of going through as you're playing the game. But uh, you could go based on like there's I just remember some of these games having just these amazing like paintings of, as far as artwork goes on the cover. Yeah, oh, and yeah. it's hard to replicate that feeling nowadays. It's and that was and that was all definitely original artwork because the 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 small small art that was used inside the game was no way high res enough to print so no. all of the box art had to be original concept art be and sometimes not by the actual designer themselves it would definitely be third party so so some of it wasn't necessarily representative of what the game was it was what the the guy marketing the game thought the game was <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like describe the game to me. What are you doing? And then, and then he he draws something. He, he paints something or whatever. And that's yeah. that's your that's your yeah. art. But <laughs> that's all a part of that wonderful experience because when you had something that looked cool, and then you take it home, you you know, depending upon who you are, you either carefully open that box or you just rip that thing to shreds and release <laughs> the game from the box. Right? How many yeah. how many times did we do that and now regret it? But you know, you open all of them. And you, <laughs> right? <laughs> You open that up, you take that well, cartridge out, and you look at the cartridge art, which usually matched the box art, and then you stick this thing in, and then your your brain is already in that mode. You Your mind's eye is already playing the game with the graphics that it has, but you're thinking like the box art, and you're experiencing it in your brain the way that it was painted on the box when you were a kid. You know, when you were young, that's how it felt. And it was such an amazing experience. Even if the game was, quote, NES hard, like something like... Ghosts and Goblins, where, you know, if you were lucky, you could spend two hours to get past the first level the first time you played it. You know, that that type of thing, that experience burned into you and you just mm. loved it. Wow. I think we're uh, doing some therapy here now. We're, we're really Absolutely. getting deep. We're getting into Absolutely. it. <laughs> well, I think these are fun topics. We've covered a, a lot of ground here. <laughs> like to talk about our featured game of the week i have looked at a whole list of games and thought about what's going on but i think there's one that i i know it's a little bit a little bit pertinent to what we have going on but honestly it's it's such going to be such a great uh, thing that we're going to release here i want to talk about the hotline miami collection which smitty might know a little something about hotline miami well, it's got a Metacritic score of eighty-seven. <laughs> did you memorize that, or did you? Did you? Are you staring he just at that? He checks it every day. I, do. I know he's just watching. I it's, check like, it it's like the stocks. I, I just want to name all the platforms that Hotline Miami has ever been published for. OSX, uh, PS3, uh, PS Vita. I've also heard referred to as Vita. Can you believe that? Linux, PlayStation Four. Android and Switch, and of course, just a good old PC, but uh, the good old Windows. 
But so this game, that was the original. It's on everything. That yeah, that was the original Hotline Miami, and it was you know released by Devolver Digital. A uh, few. God dang, how old is it? A few? Yeah, I was going to say, it's a little more than a few years uh, old at this I know. point. It's like 2012, right? It was 2012. So the first one was in 2012, and then there is uh, Wrong Number, you know, the sequel, all done by Denaton Games. Uh, you know, so we've got to give a big old shout out to Denaton, so Dennis and Jonathan. Um, but so Hotline Miami is a game ever since we started Special Reserve Games that was on the list to put out for physical because it was such a brilliant game digitally and everybody loved it in mass. I mean, it was huge, hugely popular, still is that to, I didn't really realize the importance of the physical version of it. Um you know, a couple of years ago, but as we've progressed the physical collector community, even a little bit, you know, further, I way improving it, you know, all the different companies out there, you know, to me, you know, one of them led, led by limited run games, you know, love those guys big time for uh, making that PS4 collector. Uh, they built that <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. And so everybody, all those guys were also saying that, when are you going to do hotline Miami? <laughs> when are you going to do hotline Miami? So I knew it was super important. So finally, here we are putting it out April 21st on Nintendo switch physical for the first time. With both, both games, games on, on the cartridge, on one cartridge. Hotline. This is not like get one, download the other. And yeah. I, as a, <laughs> Very uh, discerning and hardcore <laughs> Switch uh, a fan appreciate because I don't want to have to download the games. I want them all on the cartridge. Yeah, I'm buying a cartridge with, for a reason. With all and... the, the you know any <laughs> DLC, which is digital, you know digital. That's part of the name is digital. But the any other additional content, not not just patches, you know, not day one patch or any kind of critical patches, but actual content, a new level, this and that, and whatever. You know, you also we try to get all of that on the con uh, on the actual cart and call yeah. it, we call that pristine. That's our little now. I know that sometimes things happen where like oh, somebody found a bug after the fact and now they want to fix that. So sometimes you might have a patch for that that, you know, might happen on a release or two here and there. But, you know, the important thing to me as a collector is like, I want to be able to play this to the best of its ability without any severe bugs with all the content on the cartridge. And I love that we're able to deliver this because I know people are asking and I know people are desiring that. And right now, the the most uh, the closest we can uh, get with Hotline Miami is there was a Japanese collection release on disc, but only had the first game on the disc. You had a code for the other game, yeah. So it's not really great. And you know? and can I just take a little sideways uh, uh, thing? If, yeah. if, if anyone ever wants to look backwards into our catalog uh, and can look up Shadow Warrior Two, I did Shadow Warrior Two PC and Shadow Warrior Two for PS4. Both of those were the only thing, only game I ever did where there are actually both games. Like on the PS4, there are two discs. There's Shadow Warrior 1, Shadow Warrior 2. And there are two different discs inside of the PS4 game. And then the PC has both plus the soundtrack on CD. <laughs> so, like, uh, there was, a, just just to go back, because sometimes we'll, we'll look backwards in our catalog. But so Hotline Miami was one of those. It's been around. It's so loved. It's been multi-platform. It's had, oh, yeah. it's had a, two versions, you know, whatever. And I think they had a hell of a lot of knockoffs and people mimicking that gameplay style but uh what 
so what, what am I going to do? You know, like, what am I going to do to, uh, do add to that game? Nothing. All I can do is honor it and preserve it. So we get the key art from Dennis, you know, and uh, from Denaton. And then we lay out, of course, the jacket cover. We, and then we look backwards at what we want to do with every single game has been make sure it's got a physical instruction booklet of at least 24 pages. And, uh, so it's actually, and we're not printing this on newsprint. Okay. No, yeah. We actually do really, really. And, but so it has to have a, a, a nice instruction booklet that is worked on with the developer. It's not like I'm just making this up and, and like marketing material or something. No, no, so they're involved very much. Most of the time they're writing the, the words for us. They're providing the imagery and I'm just laying it out in the template, you know, uh, that's, that's right. kind of how we work a lot. And so then here we go. So we also, one thing I love from the past, what we were talking about, the, the black box is this, what we call our reserve box, or you could call it a collector's edition box, but you know, we like to call it a reserve box and um, it's a specific size and it's got some artistic elements to it that, you know, are an homage to uh, other boxes and box designs from previous and uh, but i use all kinds of cutting edge techniques uh with different processes and laminations you know foil stamping emboss deboss and building things with five different uv layers and you know so i'm creating what I'm all call- very technical yeah we're calling topography i'm creating a you know if you ever seen like a topographical map that you know you can feel the elevation changes of the hills and stuff a little bit that's what i'm creating with different processes um that some are colored, some are not. So we're, we're using the cutting edge physical printing technology. So I'm still creating tangible physical goods, but I'm able to preserve the art and then honor it and accentuate it in such a way that it actually creates something new a little bit out of this art. So, you know, we, we are creating a collectible, but I'm not trying to do it by being cute and throwing in a bunch of trinkets and trash. I'm trying to take the artwork and make it the best it can possibly be in a physical state. You know, that's all I'm doing. And, uh, and, and something that you're going to absolutely be wanting to and be proud of putting up on the shelf and displaying. Oh yeah. And, and it's weird. Like I say, Hey, feel this box, man. It's crazy. You want to touch it. And then you're like, Hey, quit touching my box. <laughs> yes. You're touching it too much. You know, it's, it's uh, fragile. Get the fingerprints. Yeah, exactly. all over it, It's fragile. It's fragile. It up. Yeah. Uh, so there's uh, but you know, just had the honor of creating so many great uh, elements from games that, you know, to honor the games that have become icons in in and of their own self or just a physical representation from the game. So Hotline Miami uh, collection, we're just taking a real straightforward approach with uh, the Switch version, double-sided jacket cover. Every unit is sequentially numbered. Um, and if you really care, all the sequential numbers are printed in foil, only not in ink. So, uh, but, so it's kind of hard to knock them off, if you will. But uh, we're doing eight thousand total units. We're going to put seventy five hundred up for sale um, on our website, right? And or they've already been on sale. <laughs> Depends on when this podcast airs. But uh, they, wasn't it great how quickly they sold? Oh my out. gosh, I can't believe how fast Hotline <laughs> it Miami only sold took out. Three okay, seconds. Hold on, yeah. cut number two. We're almost sold out of Hotline Miami. Come visit <laughs> our. And then here's the other one. Hey, we're getting ready to go on sale with Hotline Miami. But um, it's. Uh, 
you know, it's got a couple art cards, a sticker, the uh, instruction booklet, and it comes inside of a really nice reserve. Uh, and it's going to be, you know, straightforward, thirty-five bucks. So but I, I'm gonna, I, I just want to lay in on top of all this. It's not just about the box or the game as a as a piece of art either. Hotline Miami and Hotline Miami Two are awesome games. Like they're a blast. Yeah, to they're play. hard. And they have this. Can't, oh hard. yeah, they're hard to do. <laughs> they, they have this great aesthetic. When you look at this, you get that. I mean, the first one immediately. It's you got that Miami Vice meets you know guy that's just gonna tear things up. Plus the weird element of all these people in the masks and what the hell is going on. So I mean, you combine all that stuff together along with the gameplay, which encourages you to just get in there and try it and go nuts. Uh, although at times stealth is your friend, you know, you, you really just got to like figure it out and there's hidden secrets. You have to, I don't want to give anything away, but there's stuff that you have to find if you really want to go a hundred percent in there. Mm -hmm. uh, like, uh, I guess I can say that there are, there's more than one secret. And one of them, one of them has to do with, some masks look how just put it that way look how nice eric is trying not to give up secrets from a game that was released six years ago <laughs> but see here's the thing the beautiful thing about this is that when when we go and and have the luxury of putting this out there are definitely going to be some people where this is the first time that they've played this i recently went back through it again because it had been years since i touched the first one and so i decided you know what as we're getting kind of amped up here, I want to play it again because it's such a good game. So I went through it again, and then I I go through and I beat the whole thing, and I'm like, damn it, I want to go f I want to go complete it. So I had to go through and go find the things that I missed throughout it, and you know that's that's always fun when you're trying to do that. But man, it's so much fun. I I love twin stick games on the Switch. I think the the, the the form factor of the switch, whether you're using the joy cons or if you're using a pro controller or whatever, or if you're doing handheld mode, it, it lends itself to a lot of different game styles, but twin sticks is one of those things that it really works with. You can play twin stick games like Gungeon or my friend, Pedro, uh, oh my my Lord. Friend Pedro is another one. Yeah, I mean, it's, that one got me. that's a little bit different for being a twin stick too. I know Pedro's an amazing yeah, Pedro's, game. Oof. Pedro to yeah. make your brain have to work. <laughs> it's a, yeah. And oof. it kind of melts your brain too. Know. But, you know, hotline Miami just has this classic feel and, and I love it. All the different weapons and it, it's, it's so like honestly, when you talk about fun, it's just a fun game. Yep. So well, I recommend that you go download it because I, I did rip off a lot of different platforms that uh, Hotline Miami had been made for. Of course, one and two. Um, so it's uh, you know go download it, man, and download it from anywhere. Anything to support the developers. Uh, I personally know every single one of Devolver Digital their publisher and you know i've been friends with some of these guys for a long time <laughs> more years than you care yeah to, a lot a lot say. of years over 20 you know some things about those people i do i do know some <laughs> things about them but uh, we so, might say something about them later absolutely they're great great well it's a great publishing house it's one of the only well, it's in the top 10 publishers in the world. It's the only independently owned publishing house. Uh, and they truly do put the developers first. And I can tell you without a doubt, if you spent a dollar buying Hotline Miami, the lion's share of that dollar 
goes to uh, the the developer, you know, after you know whatever Steam gets their cut or whatever, Devolver is not. Um, they're 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 more fair to any publisher, or excuse me, they're more fair to any independent developer than I've ever seen any other publisher. So it's uh, absolutely. So if you don't buy the physical version of Hotline Miami, download it, download it on any platform that you got, and enjoy the game, you know, and just keep supporting independent developers, man. And then maybe consider if you do love the game or if you love the art or just love the package, consider picking up one of ours. Or ten. <laughs> we, I leave that for I leave that for you to drop. My like cart that. restriction is ten, guys. You can buy ten. It's okay. I'm a I'll whore myself out. Develop the developer ain't gonna be mad at you. No, no. But uh, I think I think Hotline Miami Collection is a great release to say that this is gonna be our feature game of the week for the first week here. That absolutely. So I'm really happy that we can represent that. I think that we are out of quarters. So I think that's about all we can play today. I am Eric. And I'm Smitty. I'm Dan. And until next time, this is a game over. Game over.